good morning again here at Fellowship Bible Church. Glad you're with us. And uh, again, if you're a guest with us, so happy you are uh, fellowshipping with us this morning. Um, if you're watching online, as uh, Joe said, glad uh, you can do that down in F3 as well. And uh, I think I got all the bases covered. Everybody's here. Everybody's awake. We um, <clears throat> are living in very interesting times with uh, a lot of uh, different perspectives on a lot of different issues of life. I got a letter uh, from a friend that um, I'd like to read to you this morning about how we should relate to one another in these very disparate times and uh, with a lot of different opinions that run here and there. It's a little lengthy letter, but let me read it to you. Dear Fellowship Bible Church, Welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something that you don't agree with, even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in faith. And remember, they have their own history to deal with, so treat them gently. For instance, a person who's been around for a while might be well convinced that he can eat anything that's on the table. Well, somebody else from a different background might assume that he should be a vegetarian and, and eat properly accordingly to that. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticizing each other of what each other ate? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, Look, God can handle that. He doesn't need your help. Or say, uh, one person thinks that some days should be set aside as a holy one, and another thinks that each day is pretty much like any other day. Now, there are good reasons either way, so each person is free to follow his convictions of conscience. What's important in all this is that if you keep a holy day, you keep it for God's sake. If you eat meat, eat it to the glory of God and thank God for prime rib and if you're a vegetarian, well, eat your vegetables to the glory of God and thank God for the broccoli. None of us are permitted to insist on our own way in these matters. It's God who we're answerable to, all the way from life and everything in between, and we're not answerable to each other. And that's why Jesus lived and died and he lived again, so that he could be our master across the entire range of life and death and, and to free us from the petty tyrannies of each other. So where does that leave you when you criticize a brother or a sister in Christ? Where does that, that leave you? I'd say it leaves you looking pretty silly or worse. Eventually, we're all going to end up kneeling side by side at the place of judgment, facing God. And your critical and condescending ways aren't going to improve your position there one bit. You can read it for yourself in the Scripture. As I live and breathe, says God, Every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will tell the honest truth that I and only I am God. So tend to your own knitting. You've got your hands full just taking care of your own life before God. Forget about deciding what's right for each other. Here's what you need to be concerned about. That you don't get in the way of someone else making life difficult than it already is. Now, I'm convinced, in fact, Jesus convinced me that everything as it is in itself is holy. 
We, of course, by the way we treat it or talk about it, can contaminate it. If you confuse others by making a big issue over what they eat or don't eat, well, you're no longer a companion with them in love. These, remember, <clears throat> are the very people that Jesus died for. Would you risk ruining their lives over a diet? Don't you dare let a piece of God-blessed food become an occasion of soul poisoning. You see, God's kingdom isn't a matter of, of what you put in your stomach, for goodness sake. It's what God does with your life as he sets it right and he, he puts it together and he completes it with joy. Your task is to single-mindedly serve Christ. Do that and you'll kill two birds with one stone. You'll please God above you and you'll prove your worth to the people around you. So, let's agree to use all our energy in getting along with each other. Let's help each other with encouraging words. Don't drag them down by finding fault. You're certainly not going to permit an argument over what is served or not served at supper to wreck God's work among you, are you? I said it before, and I'll say it again. All food is good, but it can turn bad if you use it badly, if you use it to trip others up and, and send them sprawling. Or when you, you sit down to a meal, your primary concern should not be to feed your own face. It should be to share your life with Jesus. So be sensitive and courteous to others who you are eating with. Don't eat or say or, or do things that might interfere with the free exchange of God's love with one another. And cultivate your own relationship with God, but don't impose it on others. You're fortunate if your behavior and your belief are coherent. But if you're not sure, if you, if you notice that you are acting in ways inconsistent with what you believe, some days trying to impose your opinion on others, other days trying to please them, well, then you know that you're out of line. And if, you, if the way you live isn't consistent with what you believe, I'm telling you, it's wrong. Lovingly, the Apostle Paul via Eugene Peterson's The Message. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture, and I want you to take your Bibles and turn to that passage. It's Romans chapter 14. It's the words that Paul wrote 2,000 years ago to the church at Rome. Now, you talk about a diverse group of people. That church in Rome was pretty diverse. You had Jewish believers, people that had been steeped in Judaism. You had Gentile believers from Rome or, or from around the Roman Empire. Uh, different ways of looking at God and life and, and even within those ethnic categories, there were subcategories, different types of ways that Jews looked at things, little different ways that Gentiles looked at things. Uh, there was great diversity. After all, God may, makes us all very unique. We all don't come from the same family of origin. We all have different life experiences. We all have different ways at looking at things and experiencing life. And, and um, th there's great diversity in the body of Christ. And with great diversity comes great opportunity for <clears throat> conflict, for dealing with each other, maybe with some misunderstandings or, or even judgmental attitudes. I read of a church once that were debating whether to have a Christmas tree in uh, their 
their church just before Christmas. And on the one hand, this true story, on the one hand, some of the people thought, well, well, yeah, it's Christmas. I mean, what's the big deal about not having a Christmas tree? But there were some other people in that church that just really said, no, that's a pagan thing. Are, are you aware that Christmas trees come out of paganism? Well, we don't want anything in our church that has anything to do with paganism. And at the congregational meeting, there was this rip snorting. I mean, it led, literally, it led to some fists being thrown. And a, uh, uh, there was a lawsuit, and it was a mess. Can you imagine what the community, you know, looking in on this whole thing? Like, wow, there, there's a wonderful testimony to Jesus. Um, some people believe Christmas trees are, have no place to be in a church. Other people think, what's the big deal? And there's a lot of issues like that. When I was growing up in certain circles, uh, Christian circles, um, uh, you wouldn't be caught dead with a set of playing cards, you know, that had the, the rook or the, the, the king and the queen and all that stuff. And so what did we do? We would play with the cards that had the little bird on it called the rook cards because that was the holy set. Uh, we, we'd still cheat and argue with each other, but... Uh, we had a different playing cards. Or um, in some circles, it, going to movies was what you didn't do. Um, I, 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 I never went to movies when I was growing up. It was just something we didn't do. Unless my friends might invite me as a kid to go see a, in a birthday party, go to a Disney movie. And then it, I kind of felt weird doing it. That's just the way I, was, I, I grew up. Um, you know, wearing makeup for some people. That, that would be a taboo. Uh, certain types of, of music that had a certain type of downbeat was just, it was of the, of the devil. All sorts of different perspectives and views, different things that can divide Christians because you can have a very strong opinion about certain things. Now, the early church had those same issues. Not, not necessarily <coughs> Christian music or Christmas trees, but they had their own first century issues. Again, there were Jewish believers that were steeped in Judaism. They came out of the, the understanding of the Old Testament, and they, um, um, they would never, ever eat certain foods. That was a, a big issue, because there was those dietary laws in the Old Testament. And if you grew up in that culture, and it was, you were steeped in it, and you've been trained in the Old Testament, and the law, and Judaism, and then then you became a Christian, and you're hearing that, uh, you know, we're no longer under the law, but it, you were just so steeped in that, the thought of eating certain foods just, why, it, was, it was unholy. You would never think of doing that. In fact, in the early church, it was such an issue that the... Um, church fathers got together in Jerusalem and said, we, we need to hammer this thing out. And they convened a council, the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. And one of the things that, that they concluded after they had this big meeting, they said in recorded in Acts chapter 15, verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you, the Gentile Christians, no greater burden than these essentials. And they listed four things that they encouraged Gentile believers to guard against. Number one, abstain from things sacrificed to idols. Don't eat meat that may have been sacrificed in pagan temples. <clears throat> to the average 
Gentile believer, that, that was no big deal. But to, to a Jewish believer, that was just over the top. Nothing in the Bible in the New Testament that said you couldn't do that, as we'll see. Uh, but food was a big issue. Another big issue was the um, certain days. You know, the Jewish people had celebrated the, the Sabbath, the Saturday. This is the, the holy day. All their life was centered around that day, that, that Sabbath day. Uh, but Gentile believers, and it seems like in the early church, they kind of moved things to the first day of the week, to, to Sunday, the gathering of worship. And then there were feast days and different uh, special high and holy days that uh, in the Old Testament that, well, if you grew up with that, you just, you just wouldn't want to give it up. And, and, and you really kind of wanted to make sure other people, uh, force other people to, to adhere to those special days too. Now, those were non-absolutes in the New Testament writings. There's uh, that's not a black and white issue. These are kind of gray issues because we were set free from those laws. It's kind of like, do you put Christmas trees in a sanctuary? Do you go to movies? Do you wear makeup? I mean, the, these modern day issues. And so because there was no black and white statements in the New Testament, um, people's opinions got elevated to the level of Scripture um, and judgmental attitudes, divisions, conflicts resulted. Well, Paul is dealing with that issue in Romans chapter 14. Very practical. We're in that practical section of the book of Romans. It started in chapter 12 and 13. Now we're in chapter 14. And don't forget that the key theme that overlays these chapters is that theme of, of love. Let your love be without hypocrisy. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Have a humble attitude towards one another. Love one another. Above all else, love. And that continues in this 14th chapter as well. Now I want to share with you, so that's a big chapter, 23 verses. I want to share with you six principles that I think are surfaced, uh, come out of this, um, this, uh, this passage so if you got chapter 14 there in front of you or on your device, um, here's the first principle that I think we need to understand. Accept one another rather than judge one another. Look at verse 1. That's what it says. Now accept one another, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. It's interesting that Paul labels a weak Christian and a, and, a, and a stronger Christian. And it seems like that the emphasis of the weaker Christian is someone who, probably coming out of these Judaistic backgrounds, just has yet to understand that their relationship with God is not based on their performance. It's not based on how they're living their life. That it's based fully on the grace of God, that God purely accepts us in Jesus Christ, who was the perfect law keeper. And if we trust Christ as our personal Savior, our life is hidden with Jesus, and God looks upon us 
He sees the, the righteousness of his son. We are declared right. That's justification. We are acquitted of all crimes. He accepts us fully and completely in Christ. But, but the weaker Christian still struggles with this idea of, of accepting, being accepted before God. Look at verse 2. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Why does he eat vegetables only? Well, it could, that piece of meat just might have been come from a, from a pagan temple practice. And, and of course, that's what they did. The, the, the pagans would do their animal sacrifices, but they would make sure they shaved off uh, the, the, the good meat part and they'd sell it in the marketplace and they, you know, they'd make a little money off of it. Now, you're unwittingly going to the marketplace and you're buying that nice prime rib that had already been sa uh, offered and, um, to a pagan idol. And if you grew up in a great deeply religious Jewish family, I mean, you just don't want to, you just, you just don't want to take the risk. So I'll forego my prime rib because I don't know where that thing had come from. And I'll just be eating vegetables. Well, one person has faith that he can eat anything he wants. Another person, only vegetables, the weaker one. Verse 3, the one who eats is not to regard with contempt, though. The one who does not eat and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted them. So it's a simple principle. Um, if you have a problem with eating meat that may have been sacrificed to idols, don't judge someone who that's not a problem with. And if you don't have a problem doing it, well, don't push aside someone who... Um, you know, is, is struggling with that. Accept them. In fact, the, that word accept means, literally, it has the idea of, of receive them into your fellowship. Don't, don't, don't push them out. Paul may have had the Lord's table in mind. I, I'm not sure, uh, but some believe that might have been what he had in mind, that he, Christians were, you know, dividing over some of these non-essential issues, and they weren't coming together at the Lord's table. They were they weren't accepting one another. Um, the Lord is, is going to deal with each person. Look at verse 4. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he'll stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. In other words, it's, it's, it's none of your business. Um, don't worry about each other. The issue of what to eat or what to drink and some of these non-essentials, just don't make that an issue. Um, every believer is going to stand before God. To his own master, he's going to stand. God, and God is able to make him stand. You don't have to hover over somebody and try to shape them into what your standards are. Just stop it, says Paul. Don't worry about each other. Accept one another. Don't judge one another. There's a second principle out of this passage, and that is that we need to be fully convinced in our own mind about what God has for us. Look at verse 5. One person regards uh, one day ab above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind a conviction that is based, of course, on one's commitment to Christ. Look at verse 6. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. 
He who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat. And he gives thanks to God for it. And what Paul is saying here is, is really making this assumption um, in a positive way. Look, if the person is, has put these, these restrictions in their life, oh, I can't touch that food. It might have been sacrificed idols. Look, they're doing it for the Lord's sake. They, they want to do what is right. So don't jump all over them. And the person who has that total freedom to eat whatever he wants, not question where it came from, that you can look down upon and judge, hey, give it up. Stop judging someone because, look, they're living that out for the Lord's sake. Um, they're in the Lord's hands. Um, he's the master. You're not the master of each other. He's the master. He's the master of the person who's got the freedom, the weak, the, the stronger believer, and he's the master over the one who's the, the weaker brother. And we end up usurping Christ's role as Lord when we are trying to dictate to other people what they should be doing and should not be doing in those areas that the Scripture is silent upon. You just be fully convinced in your own mind. What does God want you to do? That's what Paul is saying. How is the Holy Spirit leading you? And then leave it there. There's a third principle. Important one that says we need to consider the judgment seat of Christ. Look at verse 10. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God for you see, it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. And so then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. <clears throat> this is a, such a key principle. We've taught on it many, many times here at Fellowship Bible Church. There's a place that <clears throat> every believer in Jesus Christ is going to stand before. It's called the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment seat of God. And every believer will give an account um, of their life, of how they have lived it, whether good or bad. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says it this way. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether we are at home or absent, to be pleasing to him, for we must all appear before that judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Look, we're all going to stand before that judgment seat of Christ. Uh, the brother that you're concerned about, how they might be living, well, don't hover over them and get them to conform to your way of doing things. Look, he'll stand before God. It'll be all sorted out at the judgment seat of Christ. The question that we need to be concerned with is, am I living under the lordship of Christ? Because I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I'm not going to give an account for my brother and sister and how they acted. I've got to give an account for myself. I'm going to stand there and give an account. It's not because of what someone else did. Now, a real quick clarification when there is a very clear issue in teaching in Scripture, we are to be involved in each other's lives. Galatians chapter 6 is an example. Jesus taught about this in Matthew 18. If a brother sins against you, 
you've got to go to them. And then if they don't listen, you, you take a couple others and you deal with this. If, if it's still a person who, who's entrenched in some violation of, of, of Scripture, you, you go to the church. Um, God wants us to live a holy life. A holy life according to his dictates, not each other's dictates. And that's where the problem comes in. It's when we have our opinions about how the Christian life should look and we get into other people's lives and we get either judgmental in one way or we don't accept them. Oh, they're, they're weak Christians. They, you know, when they grow up one day, they'll find out they're, they're, they're free in Jesus. But when there are real serious issues that are violations of Scripture, yes, we are to be involved in each other's life. Uh, but be very careful when we start putting our opinions on other people. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to have to give an account. It's called, um, I, I think that's a, that's a real uh, a wake-up call. The reality is, um, I, I, I have to give an account for my life before the Lord. There's a fourth principle we want to talk about, and that is don't cause a weaker Christian to stumble. This is an important principle. Look at verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. That word for stumbling block is a Greek word, scandalon. It's where we get our word scandalous. And in other words, it's scandalous to to trip a fellow believer up, to ensnare them, to, to put a, a stumbling block in their way of their progress in the Christian life. How, how do we do that? Verse 14, I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Now, there Paul is obviously admitting he's one of the stronger brothers he grew up in Judaism. He studied under Gamaliel. He knew all these things, but he understood the concept of God's um, grace, that he was accepted fully because of what Christ has done and not whether he ate meat that had been sacrificed to idols or he didn't keep that particular Jewish festival day. I, I, I'm free of that. Paul was the, the apostle of Christian freedom, of Christian liberty. It's the book of Galatians. I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it becomes unclean. Verse 4, 15. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not Ruin, do not destroy with your food the very one whom Christ died for. Therefore, do not let what is for you good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, it's, it's righteousness, it's peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, for he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and is approved by men. Again, more than any other New Testament writer, the Apostle Paul understood 
Christian liberty, Christian freedom. He could celebrate that. But he's saying in these verses that he'll gladly forgo that for the sake of a, of a, of a weaker fellow believer, a, a, a weaker brother or sister in Christ, somebody maybe less mature in their walk, someone who's struggling with these things and hasn't come to yet to that full understanding of their, the freedom that they have in Christ. Right doctrine, Paul said, will give you freedom in Christ. Again, that's the book of Galatians. But it's the right attitude of love toward my fellow believer that will cause me to limit my freedom so that they're not stumbled, that they're not scandalized by it. Let's try to get a little more practical with this passage for a few moments. Um, I think a clarification needs to be made about this weaker Christian, this weaker brother. When Paul talks about the, the weaker one in the faith, he's not talking about the person who's offended when he sees you do something that they don't think you should be doing. And they're offended by that. They're, they come with their legalism, their legalistic attitudes, and um, they get their nose bent out of shape and offended because of something you do that annoys them, that they don't think fits into their perspective of what Christianity should look like. A few years ago, there was a family that came here and visited Fellowship Bible Church that, I, that confronted me, accosted me at the end of the service and said, obviously, this is not a very spiritual church. I said, why? Because no one on the stage is wearing a suit and tie or a dress. Everybody on the stage should be wearing a suit and tie and a dress because that's just what Christians do. I said, my goodness, brother, you will not be happy in this church. I will recommend a few others that you might go to and mess up. No, they didn't say it that way. I was, well, would have been very loving. But he was foisting his opinion of what Christianity would look like. Paul, Paul's not concerned about making those people um, their nose bent out of shape. Um, he's not worried about fending the self-righteous legalist. I read a story of a of a guest speaker that was at a little rural church, a country church, and the pastor was taking the speaker to this elderly widow's home for dinner one night. And um, she was a very wealthy widow lady who gave, I guess, uh, floated the budget for the church. But anyway, the pastor was making sure that the guest speaker, now he said, whatever you do, don't mention anything about bowling, you know, bowling. What? Well, anyway, they got there. It was a nice evening, a polite conversation. It was over. But that stuck in that guest speaker's mind. And so on the way back, he said, hey, tell me, what was the deal about bowling? What was the problem? Well, the pastor went on and explained. He said, well, you see, Miss So-and-so, uh, she grew up in a small mining town, and, and the pool hall and the bowling alley and the bar were all in one building. And all the unsavory characters of the community, that's where they all ended up. And she's got equated a bowling alley with you know, a lot of vice and stuff that went on. In fact, she had told the pastor once, I hope I never live long enough to see my pastor coming out of a bowling alley. And so he said, just don't mention bowling alleys. And that was the whole thing. You know, we don't want to offend her. Well, quite frankly, the Apostle Paul really wouldn't care one whit about offending this lady. 
That's not what Paul is talking about. There's no fear that this woman is going to see the pastor coming out of bowling alley and she's going to get lured into doing something that would cross her conscience. That's not the, the point. Paul's concern is about that young Christian, that weak Christian, who very well may be spiritually damaged by being encouraged to sin against their own conscience if they saw someone doing something that they had always believed was wrong. But they had the Christian freedom to do it. If they see another Christian make use of their freedom in such a way that would then cause them to be stumbled, to be scandalized, to end up being lured into violating their own conscience, that's what Paul is concerned about. Not the legalistic Christian who gets offended and gets their nose bent out of shape. Um, here's another example. Having a glass of wine at a meal is not sin. <laughs> you know, having a beer after a, a hot day of mowing your yard is not sin. Now, please do not email me about, <laughs> well, that was not alcohol back in those days. You know, it was not, oh, come on. It, yes, it was. And having a beer after mowing the yard is not sin. But let me tell you something. Do you know why I grew up in a home where we didn't have alcohol? Because when my dad came back from World War II, he became an alcoholic. Now, he got saved before he met my mom and before he had kids. But we just didn't have that in our home. Unlike my wife's family, her dad came back from World War II, became a raging alcoholic, and lost the family business and lost his family because Lisa's mom divorced him because of his drinking. There's been so many ills and so many horrible things that have happened because of alcohol abuse. Now hear me. If you want to have a beer after mowing that yard, you're perfectly free to do it according to the Scriptures if it doesn't violate your own conscience. But you better be careful because if you mow that yard and you pop a top on that PBR or whatever else you want to drink, a, a Budweiser, and your neighbor sees you doing that and they know that you are a member of Fellowship Bible Church or you are, a, you know, whatever, uh, you've witnessed to them and you're a Christian and you see they're struggling with alcoholism and they see you do it, it could cause them to stumble. Keep your finger there in Romans chapter 14, but let's turn over real quickly to, to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He talks about things sacrificed idols, verse 1. He's going to hit this head on here to the Corinthians. Jump down to verse 8. Food is not going to commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat nor better if we do eat. But take care, verse 9, that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block. There it is again, a scandalous, a scandalon to the weak. For verse 10, if someone sees you you who have knowledge, knowledge that there's nothing wrong with eating the 
prime rib that had been sacrificed to an idol. Paul had earlier in the verses before, it says, come on, there are no, that's a false god. There's only one god. And you have knowledge of that. So if, but if someone sees you, you who have knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, and why would someone dine in an idol's temple? This is just a little historical background, but apparently um, pagan temples were kind of like the social gathering places. I mean, that's where you could go for a good prime rib. I mean, it was the, the food that, the, that had been sacrificed, they'd sell it there, and it was like the, the modern-day restaurant. People would gather at those temples. It was, you know, where you'd meet your buddies. Well, if someone sees you doing that, will not his conscience, if he's weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak now is ruined, is scandalized. It, 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 it causes them to go against their conscience. They're ruined. The brother or sister for whose sake Christ died. See, very similar language as Romans 14, verse 12. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Here's Paul's conclusion, verse 13. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, what is his conclusion? I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. If drinking that glass of wine, if drinking that beer would cause my brother or sister to stumble, I will never pop a top again. I will never pull a cork off a bottle of wine or anything alcoholic. Do you see what Paul is? We're totally free in Christ to do that. But what Paul is trying to communicate is what is best for our brother. That's the principle. What is the ultimate concern that we have? My freedom and my right to do what I can do perfectly, safely before God? He's not going to frown upon me, but he is going to frown upon me if in some way I'm acting unloving to my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. What is our concern? Our personal freedom or our brother and sister in Christ? Love concerns itself with the spiritual growth and progress of each other. That's all Paul is saying. Love is what needs to be preeminent in our relationship to one another. Verse 18 says, For he who in this way of Romans, back in Romans chapter 14, verse 18, for he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and it finds approval before men. Here's a fifth principle, and that is that we are to encourage one another in peace. Look at verse 19. So then, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and then gives offense if it violates his conscience. Verse 21, it is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother might be stumbled over. Um... Avoid conflict. Avoid it. it. It is not worth the spiritual potential ruination of a fellow believer. And apart from the loving discipline and correction of sin, there should never be a, a negative discussion amongst believers. Sure, we can engage in 
in, in political debate and various other challenges in each other, but, but be very, very careful. It can easily slip into um, a spiritual conflict. You, you take, in our current area of this pandemic and wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. Well, I'm free not to wear a mask. Or I'm free and you better also wear a mask. And all of a sudden we make issues like that, issues of fellowship. Um, it, it, it should not be. It's not a sin to wear a mask. It's not a sin not to wear a mask. It might be public policy, but as far as the word is goes, anything that, that creates tension between believers is contrary to the will of God. Do, do we get this principle? Anything that tears down instead of builds up, instead of edifies fellow believers is contrary to the will of God. And when we act, however, in a, in a thoughtful way to believers, then this, this finds pleasure with God. He's pleased by this. This is his, his will. One final principle. Faithlessness is sin. Verse 22, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. In other words, if you're free to, in these non-essential areas and you feel the freedom of Christ to live, then it, that's between you and Jesus. Joint conviction before God. In fact, happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. You're blessed to experience that freedom in Christ. But, verse 23, he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. Um, whatever cannot be done in good faith that would violate one's conscience, then don't do it. Just because brother so-and-so, a respected believer in the church, or sister so-and-so, a respected believer in the church is free to do it, doesn't mean you're free to do it if it violates your own personal conscience. And so here's the principle. If in doubt, do without. <laughs> Don't do it. Because it becomes sin then. So many things more could be said about this. This is a real quick overview of a very, very important chapter. A couple of things, though, that I think are, that stand out for me in this passage is, is God's sovereignty. To, to his own master, he'll stand or fall. And stand he will because God is able to make him stand. We need to entrust each other to, to the Lord. We each, we each stand before God. He is individually our master, our Lord. And we need to be serious about our Christian walk where we are saying, Lord, what is it that you want me to do in this situation? How do you want me to live? You're my Lord, you're my master, not that brother over there, or not that sister over there who's trying to force me into their perspective of Christianity. What, it, what do you want me to do? We have to be attentive then to the Holy Spirit. Lord, what is it you want me to do? And we follow him. He is the sovereign Lord. I love what Paul said in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you know, for by grace we are saved through faith. It's not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not a result of works that anybody should boast. And the very next verse, verse 10 says, for we are his, what? workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that we'll walk in them. 
We are his, and the Greek word is poema, which is where we get our word poem. We are a work of art. Every if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are a work of art. God has set you free. He's redeemed you from the slave market of sin purely by grace, purely by receiving the free gift of eternal life. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish eternally, but have everlasting life. It's a free gift. And in the moment we put our trust in Christ, we become God's palm. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And that brother and that sister, whether they have struggles about what they can or cannot do, maybe they're struggling with a somewhat of a legalistic mindset, well, they're the Lord's. God is the parent. He'll handle it. Last night at Fellowship Saturday, I shared an illustration about some of our grandkids. You know, the little girl grandkids and the little boy grandkids. And it's amazing how the little girl grandkid just always hovers over the little boy grandkids and wants them to do what they should do. And the little boys are always rebellious for some reason. And No, I'm not going to do that. And we can treat one another with such that attitude. God is sovereign. That brother and sister Christ is his workmanship. And the other thing that I think that it so clearly stands out in this passage is that true Christian living puts this high priority on relationships, not on regulations or regimens, but on the relationship with one another. Do we spend enough time with each other just to understand where a person is coming from? Or do we jump to conclusions about people and look down our nose upon them and based on what we feel we're free to do. Paul was concerned, as the Lord is concerned, about how we treat one another within the body of Christ. And again, we're living in days that, uh, times that now above all times, believers in Jesus Christ need to be exemplifying this care and this concern and this building up one another and this love for one another. And not be so quick to throw out our opinions about how we think life should be lived. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity you give us to love you and to express our love to you and to live out that love with those around us. May we take to heart, Father, the words of this passage. The, the principles of this passage. We can just grow more and more in this attitude of, of accepting one another, of loving one another. And, and by doing so, we serve you and, and we're approved before men. In all things, help us to be imitators of you and walk in love. For your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.